Uh, did you did you listen carefully to the song you sang? And did you hear the last two stanzas of that song? It says, for those who receive the gift, they know what the angels sang about because they have received it. And that's what I want to speak about tonight. I want to speak about the unspeakable gift. The wise men came, as you remember, baby Jesus, nigh under two years of age. He's not in that manger anymore. He's in a house. And when the wise men came, very kindly, they bring gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Little did they realize the symbolism of the gold, because he will be the king of all this world. And little did they realize the symbolism of the frankincense, because he's going to be the great high priest, and that's what they burn in the temple. And little do they realize, not in a hundred years do they realize, that when they bring him the gift of myrrh, that is what they use when people die. That is what they use to make the body smell better. They bring him gifts that they never imagine what they will turn into. The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. My question is this, what was the longevity of their gifts to the king, similar to the video? What was the longevity of their gifts? Now, the gold could last for decades, right? But the frankincense and the myrrh, that's gone in a heartbeat. A far more important question, how much influence did the gifts have on the life of that Christ child? Did the gifts influence his life? Were they so memorable he never forgot them? Did they change who he was and how he viewed life and how he viewed his purpose on this earth? As the video just showed, any gift you receive from somebody, be that gift given out of love or be it given out of obligation, well, they gave one to me, I have to find one for them. What is the length of time that gift tonight or tomorrow will survive? What is the length of time it will be relevant? If you ask your children or grandchildren, what did you receive last year for Christmas? I'm betting $100. They will not remember. And the gifts they have received, even if it survives for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, will it change their life? Will that gift that you brought, will it transform who they are? their survivability on this earth. What is the length of time before it has no operational value? My dear son Joshua, a decade ago, he takes a master's degree course at DePaul University in informational technology. And on the very first day of class, after they had paid their money, on the very first day of class, the professor says... What I teach you today will be obsolete in three years. They can't leave. They've already paid their money. And then the professor says, but I will teach you how to stay relevant. I will teach you how to stay above the curve. These gifts given by human hands, it has no power or ability to change you on the inside 
It has no possibility of doing that. Even if you got a brand new Tesla, it would not have the power to change you on the inside. It would not transform your life. It might last for about 10 years, but it's not going to transform your life. The Apostle Paul understood it well, 2 Corinthians 4.18. He said, don't fix your eyes on the gifts that are seen. Don't fix your eyes on the things that are seen, because they are temporal in nature. Fix your eyes on the gifts that come from God that are not seen, because those gifts are eternal in their nature, both to change you while you're on this earth and to get you all the way to heaven. Those gifts are indescribable. You got David 900 years before Jesus is born. He says in Psalm 139, God knows me better than anyone. He knows everything there is to know about me. He knows when I leave one circumstance in life and enter a new one. He knows when I sit down and rise up. He knows every thought I have before I think it. And he knows every word I'm going to speak before I say it. And then after he describes God, he's got me hemmed in. He's behind me and he's before me. When he describes God, he finally lays down his pen and he says, I got to quit writing because I can't begin to explain what those gifts from God mean in my life. I just got to put my pen down. I'm the great poet of the Bible, but I cannot describe what God's gifts in my life mean. I mentioned the verse last week, Paul, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. He says, no eye has seen, nor hath ear heard, nor hath it entered the heart of any man, what God's gifts can do for them. And it's those gifts that I want to speak about for a few moments. It's a beautiful story in the Bible, Mark chapter 2. Sometimes when I preach sermons, it's because of one single circumstance. And if 1,500 people are watching online, and if there's 500 people that come on a Christmas, then the sermon that is meant for one person perhaps can affect others. This Christmas Eve sermon is for one person. Stories in Mark chapter 2. Jesus is preaching in Simon Peter's house. And in Simon Peter's house, there are not 10,000 people. They would fit on a hillside, but not in that house. There are a thousand people there in the yard and in the house. And in that town, there's a crippled man. He's paralytic. He can't move his arms or his legs. And he's got four friends who never gave up on him. And the four friends say, Jesus is in the house. We're going to take you there. And I'm sure he was hesitant. I'm sure he was resistant. Well, I I don't want to go there. And I'm thinking the reason he doesn't want to go there is he doesn't want to stand in the presence of God. Not what's going on in his life. Not the paralysis, but something else. And he says to his friends, "I, I don't want you to take me there. And his friends are insistent, we're going to take you there. And I can picture him saying, but it's not going to do any good. And they say, we're going to take you there. And he says, it's going to be so embarrassing, me in a blanket and you're carrying me 
through this crowd of people to Jesus. And they say, stop talking, we're going to take you there. I cannot help but look at the difference between that man who I think in my mind was resistant and the woman in the town who had been bleeding for 12 years. And she knows Jesus is in the marketplace and she says to her family and friends, I'm going to go see Jesus. And they say, you're out of your mind. You're so frail, they're going to knock you over. They're going to trample you and you're going to die. Do they offer to take her? Not a one. These four friends of this man, no matter what he says, they don't listen to him. They're going to take him to Jesus. And when they get there, the people are kind enough to step step aside. This man is in a blanket and he's paralyzed, but he can't get into the house. Up to the roof, up the ladder, take apart the clay tiles, send this man down at Jesus' feet. And when he's at Jesus' feet, are you ready for this? Jesus says to the man, your sins are forgiven you. And I can imagine the four friends up on the rooftop, sorry Jesus, he's paralyzed, had nothing to do with his sins. I think you got the wrong guy here. Have we wasted our time? And Jesus says to him a second time, your sins are forgiven you. And the man is dumbfounded. It's a noisy place in the house. And he says, can you repeat that for me? And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. And I dare say the man begins to weep. Because he is thinking. Only Jesus, only the Son of God would know that my sin haunts me. Worse than my paralysis. Only Jesus could know this about my life. There's a woman at Sychar's well, John chapter 4. And when she comes to Jesus, they're having a dialogue, and Jesus says, I got living water. You drink of it, you never thirst again. And then he stops and he says, man, I need to share this with your husband, not just with you. And the woman at the well says, I don't have a husband. Jesus smiles and says, I know you don't. You've had five and you got number six right there in your home. She is so freaked out. She is so astonished that she runs back into town and she literally says to the 200 people in Sychar, you got to walk out a half mile to the well. There's a man standing there. He's got to be the Messiah Because in her own words, he knows everything I ever did. The paralytic is dumbfounded when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And he's thinking, this man knows all about me. He knows everything I ever did. And he still loves me. And he just forgave me which is more important to my soul and my life than getting up and walking. Jesus in the Bible is called the unspeakable gift. The sin in the paralyzed man's life, I always like to speculate. I know it haunted him and I know it tortured him. 
Was he a brawler? Did he go to the bars quite often? Did he get into a fight with someone? Did he knock someone over? Did they hit their head? Did they die? And did the man's friends come and beat this guy up and he's paralyzed? Was this man a thief? Did he climb up to the second floor and he fell off the ladder and he's paralyzed? And when his family, when his wife and his children found out about this, they left him. Is that what was the sin that haunted this man? It had to be something because Jesus nailed it when he said, your sins are forgiven you. The unspeakable gift. If I ask you why he came, would you have to, would you say, man, give me 30 seconds, let me ponder it. If I ask you why he came, would you lift your eyes from a stable to a cross? If I ask you why he came, would I tell you it's because everyone on planet Earth sins? Let me ask you a question, those listening online, those here. Is there anyone here that doesn't have something in their past that they would beg God to let them go back to that moment and say, God, give me that moment over again because I would do something totally different. And this that has haunted me for decades, it would no longer be in my life. I've told you how many times a priest or a pastor like myself goes to someone's bedside and, and everyone else leaves the room and the pastor or the priest says, is there anything you want to talk about? And they say, before I die, I want to confess a sin. And sometimes they go back 70 years or 20 years or six months. That is what's haunted them. That's what haunted this man. And Jesus said to him, and Jesus says to Paul, Jesus says to each of you, by name, your sins are forgiven you. The Bible gets quite poetic about this sin thing. Micah 7.18, it says God tramples our sin under his feet. And if there's anything left after he's trampled our sin, he picks it up and casts it into the depths of the sea. David was quite poetic. David commits adultery, has Uriah murdered. Okay, this great man of God. Is he in heaven? Yes. Why? Sins are forgiven. Moses killing somebody, is he in heaven? Yes, sins are forgiven. Jesus says to this man, your sin that has destroyed so much of your life, this sin that you've never forgiven yourself about, your sin is forgiven. And then he really began to weep. And then Jesus said, hey, by the way, uh, get up and walk. And he did. And as quickly as he was able to walk, so quickly was his soul cleansed by the fact of forgiveness. Here's the deal for Christmas. Are you ready? There's always a cloud hanging over so many families. There's a cloud always hanging over so many families because something has gone wrong. Some sin has been committed one against the other. Some word has been spoken that could not be taken back. And here comes Christmas and, and we're supposed to cuddle and hug each other and all the rest of that. 
The reason he came as a babe of Bethlehem, I'm preaching to one man, the reason he came as a babe of Bethlehem was to forgive our sins. Marianne Williamson, great philosopher, once said, forgiveness is the greatest healing ointment in the world. It heals the one who forgives. The anger and hatred is gone. It hails the one who is forgiven. And when you got God doing it, my goodness gracious, when you got God saying you are forgiven, can you see forgiveness? No. Can you see the result of forgiveness? Oh my goodness. Second gift from God, 30 seconds, check your watches. Companionship. They're on the boat, the disciples, the storm has come. They think they're going to die. Jesus is walking on the water. They say, you're a ghost. He says, no, 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 no. You've seen me for three years. It's me. Do not be afraid. I am with you in the darkness of this storm. You got a storm going on, a nurse in Connie's room two days ago, talking to the nurse, guess where she's from? Ukraine. She hasn't been there, she hasn't seen her family, hasn't heard from them since that war started. Is there darkness in her life? Amen. There was a guy in the emergency room, he said, the bill's coming from this medical procedure I'm going to have to work another five years. I don't know what I'm going to do. Is there a darkness in his life? Yes. The lady who was in an accident in the room across from Connie, I was planning on seeing my family down in Texas. I haven't seen them in four years. I've been so excited for six months. I will spend Christmas in this hospital with this illness that has come. Is there darkness? Amen. Is there joy and light? Amen. And he oversees it all. Last gift, 15 seconds. Total victory. Total victory. John 16, 33. In the world, you'll always have storms. Some will be short, some will be long. In this world, you'll always have storms. Some of them will almost break you, and others will just be a little blip on the screen. In this world, there will always be storms. Listen to what he says. He says, take heart. I have overcome the storm. He doesn't say, I'll be with you in the storm. He says, I've already overcome it. I know very well that sometimes darkness lingers. John's passing 16 years ago. Who's with us in the darkness? Babe of Bethlehem. The darkness never goes away when that happens, but he's with you in the darkness, and the darkness has to flee because his light has come. And sometimes you are blessed by the darkness leaving. The cancer is healed. You get a new job on January 2nd. Sometimes the darkness is healed. But his promise is this. I shall overcome anything that ever comes into my child's life. That's the power I have. And that's the love I have. 
on this Christmas Eve and beyond. The victory is yours because the victory is his. In our Savior's name, amen. Heavenly Father, Bible says the Bible is not a matter of words. It is a matter of the power and love of God. And so it is on Christmas Eve, and so will be tomorrow when Pastor Shower preaches. It will be the power and love of God surpassing any human words or songs that can ever be spoken or written. Envelop us with that love, Lord, and heaven forbid we leave that gift unwrapped. May that gift become our life, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.